Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. Um, I'm going to read the passage in a second, but uh, I want to ask you, and this is quite, I'm a, I apologise for this, uh, but I will explain it. Has anyone watched the Antiques Roadshow? Hands up if you know what the Antiques Roadshow is. Some people are, Johnny's shaking his head like, I've watched it, but I'm slightly ashamed that I haven't. Ashamed of you. <laughs> I didn't expect to get heckled on my first video. So the Antiques Roadshow, for those of you who don't know it, is basically where people go into the house and they bring out something that is really old and their hope has a lot of value in it. And you'll get the people who bring out a painting and it will be in a wonderful frame and you'll see it, but actually it's something that their, I don't know, that their grandma did and it's really not very valuable at all. And then, they'll, then occasionally you'll find people who, have, who draw out something that has peculiar and amazing value to it. And it's almost like it's been in the attic, it's like a family heirloom, and they bring it out and they show it to the valuer, and the valuer says, wow, this is, this is amazing, this is something of real value. There was, a, there was a clip I saw, I was talking about it with a friend yesterday, of someone who brought out in America, who brought out some baseball cards. I'm a big baseball fan, for some reason I just really love that sport. And this was from the first team that was ever started, professional team, which was called the Boston Red Stockings at the time, it's now the Red Sox. And it was eight of these cards um, with the players' faces on it and a letter written by one of, the, one of the players to another team to kind of invite them for the first match. And this was, the lady who was valuing this was a sport expert. And she looked at this and said, said, do you know how much this is worth? Do you, do you guys want to guess? Eight cards and a letter. How much do you think that was worth? Any guesses? hundred grand. Not quite. hundred grand. It's $1.5 million. Just for eight pieces of card and a letter. And when we look at something that is, that is hidden away, that is being really, is really old and is not really looked at very often, then brought into the light, and we see it has extreme value. I mean, goodness me, does that not warm our souls? In this passage that we're going to look at in John, it is something that Jesus talks about, and he expounds and reveals something that is ancient, that has remained hidden, and is now being revealed in the life of the Jewish believer, of the Jewish listeners. So we're going to read and we're going to carry on our series. We're going to read from John 5 and we're going to discover what value that Jesus brings through from what he says. So we're going to read from John 5, 19 to 29. This is kind of a continuation of a, the a Beautiful Life series, which is a study through the John Gospel. So starting at verse 19, it says this. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. For the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honour the Father. Whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear this voice and come out and those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of the dead. Let me just pray. Father, I thank you for this word. Father, I thank you that this is a revelation of what has been of old and is now coming into the light. It's now new. Lord, I pray right now, Lord, would you move in our midst, Father God? Would you bring us to a place of revelation of you, Jesus? And Father, would you be glorified in this time, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'm used to preaching uh, in a Middle Eastern culture with a very uh, multicultural uh, people in front of me, many of them Africans. Uh, I would appreciate your feedback while I'm doing this. Heckling is fine, John. It's okay, okay? So any amens or go for it or uh, Americanisms on their ride that pony, anything like this, anything like that. Feel free to throw out at me. So when we look at, when we look at um, the words of Jesus, there is something that is unique to John's gospel and unique to Jesus that we find here. And it's those sayings, the truly, 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 truly. Okay, and I just want to pick up on that. There's three phrases in that in this passage, which I'm kind of going to use, I'm going to plan to use anyway as a form for going through this passage. I might go completely off east, all right? But when you say truly, truly, Many, uh, many uh, commentators and many, other, many uh, Bible preachers would look at that and say, this is Jesus highlighting and zeroing, zeroing in on a particular fact that he wants our attention to be on. It's like when uh, it says maybe an Australianism dress where it says, where people say, look, they say, look, and then they start speaking at the start of the sentence. Like, it's like, focus your attention. I'm going to say something that is of real value. But what... Excuse me. But actually, what Jesus is really saying in this, that's good, thanks. It's almost my work laptop that I had to pay for there. Um, what, what actually Jesus is saying here is not, what Jesus is saying is not just have a look, he's actually saying, I've seen what this is. In Revelation 13, 14, John, who also wrote this gospel, wrote Revelation, he said, he said in verse 13, 14, he said, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, Deceans, write, These things said the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. So John, elsewhere in his writings, actually refers to the Amen, the truly, truly, which in Greek is Amen, Amen. He refers to the Amen as actually Jesus, the faithful and true witness. Now, when we witness about something, I cannot witness about something I have not seen. I can say that Niagara Falls, it's amazing. You know, it's it, like 10,000 tons of water goes over Niagara Falls every one minute. And I can say the, the, the spray from Niagara Falls, you can feel it 100, 200 meters away. But I can't witness it fully because I've never been there. I haven't seen it. Do you understand what I mean? We can only be a faithful and true witness when we've actually seen something. So when Jesus says, truly, truly, he's not just saying it's true. He's not saying, let it be so. He's actually saying, I've seen it. 
I know this for a fact. It's not like we say amen. At the end of a prayer, we generally say amen, which means I agree, or let it be so, or yes. But actually when Jesus says amen, amen, he's saying actually I'm a divine witness to what I'm about to tell you has happened. He's going a step further and he's saying, I have seen it with my eyes. This is what it is. And he says this, truly, truly, I have seen this myself. The son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. I mean, that's an amazing thing for Jesus to say. It's an amazing thing for him to say in the, in the presence of the people he was speaking to. But that's an amazing thing for us to hear. Jesus is all-powerful. He was there at creation. He is the one that we worship. He is God. But actually, he's saying, I can do nothing apart from what the Father tells me I can do. Isn't that incredible? That he's so submitted to God's will, to the Father's will, that actually he says, I have to do what he said. And we join this passage in, in verse 18. He's just, well, the preceding passage, he's just healed the man at the pool of Bethesda who was, who was an invalid for 38 years. Couldn't walk. And he came and he just said, do you want to be healed? Take him out, get up and walk. And as, as Daniel expanded last week so beautifully, that actually he fulfilled the purpose of the Sabbath in doing that. And when we join him here, the people are like, they wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill him. They literally wanted to murder him because he was saying that he was equal to God. He was making himself like the Father and saying, I'm equal to God. Now, this is the perfect opportunity. If you've ever been accused of something, you want to get the first opportunity to say, that's not true. Like, I'm not equal to this, or I didn't do this. But Jesus doesn't do that because he can't lie. He is equal to the Father. But actually, when there's equality, it doesn't mean that your role's the same. It doesn't mean that you do the same thing. Yeah? So Jesus is saying, I am equal to the Father, but actually, I can't do the same thing. I can't, like, I, I don't have the same role, sorry. I don't have the same role as the Father. He tells me, and I do. He says, for whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. It's like, I see the Father do it, and I do it myself. Me, I wish I led a life like that. I actually end up doing mostly what I want, about 96 to 97% of the time, and what God wants the other 3% of the time. I don't know if anyone can, can I get an amen? Amen, amen. yeah, can I get an amen? That's, that's what, I, that's the way I live my life. And I feel so challenged by this. You see, he only does the Father, what the Father wants. He's so reliant on the Father. I can ask you a question. Why is it that the only being that's ever been able to rightly claim equality with God recognized that he had to be solely submissive and reliant on God? Whereas we who can in no way claim equality with God, we find it so hard to recognize that we must be reliant on him. That just doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense that the one who is the closest person to God that was, will ever exist has to rely on him that closely. 
and knows that he has to. He knows he has to do it. But for us, we are so far from being equal to him. Actually, we, 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 we lose that element of having to rely on him and having to be reliant on him. I, I, I think part of it's because the world tells us continually over and over again that you, if you don't do it yourself, it's never going to get done. Yeah? What's the phrase? Like, if the best way to get something done is to do it yourself. Yeah? But actually, for Jesus, the best way to get something done is just to look at what God's doing already. Look at what the Father's doing and think, okay, that's what you want me to do. Those are the words you want me to speak. I'm going to go and speak them. So elsewhere, so further down in the passage, we see a little bit more of the relationship, this age-old, ancient of days relationship that the Father has had with the Son. So he says in verse 20, he says, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. That is the link of the love of God and the revelation to Jesus. Now, I just want to ask a question. Do you guys know what I mean when I say revelation? I'm not talking about the book in the Bible, although that is a good example of revelation. I'm talking about the daily revelation that we ourselves walk in. That we ourselves walk in. Jesus here is saying every day, I know what the Father does, I know what he wants me to say, and I go ahead and do it. And actually the Father, because he loves me, he reveals, and I go and do it. He walks daily in a life of revelation and knowledge of the Father because he hears his voice and he sees what he's doing. It's a call to us, I'm going to hopefully go into this a little bit later, but it's a call for us to live a life of revelation. The world, the world does not need Christians. The, I'm aware this is my first preach, so apologies. You're getting to know me and I'm getting to know you at the same time. But the world does not need Christians who do not live in revelation. Because when you don't live in revelation, you end up living on tradition. And then you're, you end up living being dictated to by the culture. But if you live on revelation, if you live on the, the word of God coming alive to you, if you live on hearing the voice of God, if you live on being in his presence and, and being with him, that, that represents something. You get to reveal God to the world. You get to reveal God to the world. So Jesus is here teaching us his beautiful life was based on revelation daily from the Father. And our beautiful life, because our life is called to be beautiful. It's not called to be miserable. It's not called to be stagnant. It's called to be beautiful. And it's been made beautiful by Jesus. But that life is meant to be lived in and based on the revelation of God on a daily basis. And that's, I'm not here to invent something. This is here in scripture. So I don't set the bar. I'm not setting the bar for you. Scripture sets the bar for you. And I, like you, am trying to reach that bar. I'm trying to live that life as well. Okay? So it says further down. It says, for the, uh, for the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, so that all may honour the Son, just as they honour the Father. Whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. This is an amazing statement for me. I think when I... When I read this statement, it, it makes me really, uh, it makes me really wonder at what Jesus was saying. Now, for, for me, um, I grew up in a Christian family. Uh, my my mum and my dad are spirit-filled believers. Um, 
They served in their local church. They taught me the Bible stories from a really, really young age. I had that privilege and that was great. Um, so this is normal knowledge for me. It is that we honour Jesus and we honour the Father and we honour the Holy Spirit to the same degree. Yeah? For many of you, that's not your experience. For many of you, you had an experience where you've come into faith in Jesus and you've come into faith in the Father. For the believers in this day who are listening to it, this statement that you must honour the Son as you honour the Father was the, probably one of the most offensive things that you could say. There was a culture completely built on and dominated by a love for the Almighty One, the everlasting, the Ancient of Days. It was, it was a culture built on the commandments. And what is the first commandment in Exodus 20? It is, you shall have no other God apart from me. It was built on a love for the one God. But here comes Jesus and he says, now you must honour me as you honour the Father. And if you don't honour the Son, then you actually don't honour the Father. I mean, that is, that is mind-blowing. That is mind-blowing for them to hear this in this day. And do you know where he's saying it? He's saying it in Jerusalem. He's saying it in the very place that God had chosen to put his presence in the temple. That was his city. And yet Jesus comes in and says, you must honour me as you honour the Father. Uh, I don't know about you when you read the Bible. Do you, uh, when you hear these stories of the, the Pharisees and you think, oh, goodness me, like, how, how, could they, how could they not see that Jesus was real? How could they not know that he was the son of God? I mean, all these miracles and everything he does. Honestly, I read a passage like this, I've got a bit of sympathy for them. Because it was their whole world. It was the way that they lived. Everything was based on it. You know, they're getting up, they're going down, their work, their prayers, everything was based on this. And Jesus just comes across and he cuts through that straight away. And he says, actually, you must honour me like you honour the Father. And we're getting a glimpse of, of this relationship, this ancient relationship from, from the beginning of creation of actually Jesus saying, now I'm part of God, him and I are equal, you must honour me. Verse 24, the second kind of truly, truly statement that I've seen it, I am the witness to it, is I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And there's one thing that I want to highlight from this. One thing, well, I'm going to say two things. We'll see if we get to the second one. The one thing is that it has happened already. It says you do not come into judgment in the future, but you have passed from death to life. And this is the truth of our beautiful life with Jesus, is that actually when we accept and we hear his word, we have passed from death to life. It's not something that is, is, uh, is, is uh, behind us like a shadow that is following us for the rest of our lives. It is actually saying when you believe what you have is life and death has passed away. And you may struggle in your life with the remnants of sin and the remnants of this world as a shadow behind you. I feel the Spirit just on me now, right, right now, saying you might struggle with the weight of your sin that is behind you. But I want to say when you accept Jesus as your Saviour, you pass from that death and you come into a life where the shadow doesn't exist anymore. You are literally Peter Pan. You have lost your shadow. 
It is not on you anymore. You have freedom from the sin and the weight that you were carrying before. And Jesus proclaims to you, even right now in your spirit, he proclaims to you freedom from the weight of the sin and shame that has come before. And he says that no longer needs to drag you down. That is no longer a a ball and chain around your ankle holding you. It's no longer the name tattooed across your forehead of shame and guilt. It's no longer the heavy backpack that you carry loaded down with stones of sin and shame. It is freedom that you have passed and you have been cut off from death to life. It's not possible to be dead and alive at the same time. You are one or the other. And if you've given your life to Jesus, you are living. Can I get an amen? Amen. You are living. And Jesus did it. And what I love about this passage is he, is he doesn't say, like, I bring these words, you must believe me now. Like we would say, in our culture, in many cultures around the world, it's the word I speak, the truth that I have within me, who I am myself, I speak the word, and now you've got to believe in me. No, Jesus says, I speak the word, but actually my word directs you straight to the Father. I speak for the Father, so that you might believe in the Father. And in the first verse, it was like, I do what the Father does, and now it's like, I say what the Father does. And I don't know about you, I find like, our words reveal a lot about us, right? Our words actually reveal whose authority we're under and how we're acting. If you've ever been in a relationship uh, or, or, or you've been in an argument, shall I say, with, uh, with a wife or a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a family member, or if you've ever had any relationships, can you just put your hand up? Uh, sorry, any arguments, can you just put your hand up? Any arguments ever? Okay. Have you ever had the other person point out to you how many I statements you make? I wanted to do this. I wanted to do that. I didn't get this, I didn't get that. When you make my statements, you are instantly revealing whose authority you are under. You are under your own authority. Because it's I. I want this. I want that. Jesus is not making an I statement. He is saying, I preach, you believe in him. He's not drawing, he's not saying, I am the authority. He's saying, he is the authority. The Father is the authority. And when we speak... Scripture makes it really, really clear in, in Matthew 12, in Proverbs, in, in all, all throughout the whole of Scripture, that our words and the power of our words hold eternal consequence. And our speech reveals, yeah, it reveals who we are, who we are serving, who is ours, who we are following. And Jesus is saying, I'm following the Father because I speak and I reveal him. The last point, or the last truly, truly statement I'd like to pick up on here is the one in verse 25. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. What's amazing about this statement is Jesus is truly, truly, it's like I'm a witness, I've seen it, it's happened, I know it's, it's happened because I've already seen it. But actually, this is a future statement. This is to say, actually, it's going to come. The hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of God. He's saying, I have seen judgment happen. Do you understand what I'm saying here? 
He's saying, I witnessed judgment happening at the end of time. It means he's already been there. I, I, it's a time for another preach that Jesus exists completely outside of time. But he's already seen judgment happen. And actually he's saying it's coming and it's now here. Which means that which means that he's revealing here that for the first time in John this element of the kingdom of God where we have received and we are still receiving and we will receive at the end. And it's something that has come and it's happening, but it's not been fully fulfilled yet. And this is what he's saying. He's saying that the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear, they will live. I mean, that's, that's going to be pretty incredible. When he says in this passage, earlier on, further up, he says in verse 20 that God will reveal that the Father will show him greater work so that we may marvel. Uh, I've never seen, I've never seen uh, a man who's been an invalid for 38 years stand up and walk. I would marvel. I would be like jaw down to the ground, like what just happened? He says you will marvel at these. But then further down it says about this, he says, when people hear the voice of God and they, they rise, he says, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. It's at, at the judgment day, there'll be no room for marveling. It's happening, and it's real. Uh, I, don't, I don't want to preach down, I want to preach up, but actually, like God is here, and God will, that day will come when judgment is there. And we can't escape from this. And he's saying it is in process. The last days are in process. Actually, I will come, he says, and I'll speak and they will live. In this whole kind of series and this whole time, reading this passage and meditating on it, I've been asking myself, and I think it's so important when you're in Scripture to ask yourself, what is the purpose? Like, what is... What is God trying to reveal? What is Jesus trying to reveal for my life now? And I I feel like he wants to reveal for us that we are meant to live in revelation of the Father on a daily basis. That's it. He wants to bring us to a place of revelation. So in the midst of these this depth of theology of looking at what is an ancient relationship from before time began the relationship between the Father and the Son, he wants to say, actually, I've called you to live in the same revelation. Because when the Father revealed to the Son, we now believe. It's because of Jesus' obedience to the Father that we now have, uh, we are now able to believe in what the Father does. But actually, our role right now is to be Jesus, in a way, to the world is to act in revelation of the Father so that the world can believe. That's why I said earlier that that the world doesn't need believers that don't live in revelation. The world does not need need believers that concentrate on tradition and culture and allow that to take precedence. The world needs believers who live in daily revelation of the Father. The world is crying out for a fresh perspective of who God is. I think throughout history, in many different forms, we've tried to put God in a box, or we've tried to explain who God is, and we've tried to, we've tried to kind of define God in a way. 
But actually, through revelation, we are continually refreshed. We're continually refreshed about who God is. Um, over the last sort of week or so, I don't know if you've been the same, I work from home. So when I look out of my window, I mainly see clouds and rain. I see thunderstorms and I hear the thunder. Okay, I'm sure you guys are the same. If you've been in this, in this city for the last two weeks or so, you will know that it's thunderstorms all the time. I'm thinking, where is summer going? It's disappearing. It's going to be September in like four weeks and we will have lost all the sun we can possibly have. Okay? The revelation of God is like when you see a scenery and it's just cloud and then there's this one hole in the cloud and you just see the rays of sunshine coming down. That's what the revelation of God is like for the world. Because it's so easy when it's cloudy and grey skies outside, it's so easy to forget the sun actually really exists because you don't see its effect. You don't see what it's doing. You don't think, okay, if, uh, you don't realise that actually the heat that it brings makes the world grow and vegetation grow and everything. But actually when that hole opens up in the sky you see the sun come through and you think, ah, there it is. And there will be a day when the clouds completely go from the world and we will see God for who he really, really is. We will see him in his fullness of revelation. Not part and parcel, not the little opening that we see now. But I want to encourage you that whenever you speak a word of truth and speak a word of love, whenever you minister, whenever you witness, whenever you use the words and the deeds that you have been given, when you shine and you open that cloud and you reveal God, even in the smallest, smallest way, the world is renewed because it sees what it's desperately, desperately needing, which is a true and right revelation of who the Father is. Without a revelation of the Father through us as his people, his church, the society will continue to lose sight of who God is and they won't see his glory. I mean, the, 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 the vision of this church is for the glory of God to be known across the London and across the nations. We are called... To, to have that pocket of sunshine coming through the clouds to say this is who God is. And that's our beautiful life that we get to lead. Amen. I'm just going to pray in a second. I feel like God's laid some stuff in my heart, but can I get the band back up? Is that okay? Um, and just going to pray. I felt like I'd love us to pray um, something that some that God is, and I hope I'm not too bold in saying this, some, a gift that God's given me, and I've seen in operation and seen work, and it's, it's something that he's given. It's not got nothing to do with me. I've, I've failed enough times to know that it's not me, is to see healing break out, and to see people healed uh, of short-term things and long-term things. And I would love to do that today with you guys. Is that cool? Is that good? Yeah? Can I ask you just to stand where you are? I felt God speak to me um, last night when I was praying about someone who has, who has a, a quite sharp pains in their neck. Uh, and this is for you guys at home as well, as much as it is for us here. And I felt just God drop in me a, something of long-term illness, long-term ailments, things that have 
been around and have almost become part of our lives, part of how we usually do things. And I feel like he wants to break that this morning. And we're just going to spend a few minutes to pray. And when we pray for healing, when I pray for healing, I don't actually get to pray for the healing. I ask you to pray for the healing. It's not about me. It's about you guys. Bringing that little cloud of, breaking the clouds a little bit and bringing a bit of God down to this earth, okay? So I'm going to ask you guys to pray. And if you've never prayed for healing in someone before, here's a really quick intro. You make it short and snappy. And you ask for the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. No other name has is, 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 got that weight. The name of Jesus to come and to break sickness. To break in and bring healing. So I just ask you, wherever you are right now, could you just close your eyes? And at home, I'd love you to join with us. I'm just going to pray and then I'm going to ask you, church, just to ask for healing. Don't need to shout it. Just in authority that you've been given to ask for healing. Ask for healing. Lord, I want to thank you for for the way that you minister to us and through us, Lord. I thank you that it is you, Jesus, that does it. It is not us that does it at all. It is you that does it. And Father, we ask you right now, would you bring healing in this place? Would you bring healing in this place? Just where you are. Just where you are. If you have, if that's you, if you have a a sharp pain in your neck, if you have a sharp pain in your neck, Would you just throw up a hand? And we'd love to pray for you. There's no embarrassment at all. There might be someone at home, but I just felt that. If you have a sharp pain in your neck, we'd love to pray for you. If you need healing in any other way as well, it might be be any pain in your body. If you need healing in any other way, would you just throw up a hand where you are? Just where you are, would you open your mouth and just ask God? Just say, in Jesus' name, I ask for healing. Just where you are right now, in Jesus' name, I ask for healing for long-term ailment. Ask for healing to break out in Trinity Church. And if you're at home and you're, you're listening to this, you're saying, I really need healing myself. I'm fed up with myself or someone in my family that is that is struggling under the weight of sickness. Would you call on God and ask for healing? Lord, I pray right now. Just pray for healing right now, Lord. I pray for healing to break out in Trinity Church, Lord. I pray for those with long-term ailments, Lord. I pray for those with migraines, Lord. Lord, I pray you would bring healing, Lord. I pray for those with mental health issues, Lord, that you would bring healing, Father God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray for that person with with a neck pain, Lord. I pray you would bring healing, Lord, in Jesus' name right now. Come on, Father. Come on, Father.